This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The balance is educating yourself in that which is trans time, which is who we are, who we are as a person, who we are as a soul, who we are as an essential being. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Carlos Warder, the author of Where Are You Running? Nine Stories from the Heart. Author, medical doctor, psychiatrist, and spiritual teacher. Dr. Warder has won numerous global awards for his work, including the Pax Mundi Award and the UN Peace Messenger Award, among others. With 22 books published in six languages and translated into nine languages, he has dedicated himself to the study of human consciousness and the integration of psychology and spirituality into a non-dualistic paradigm called psychosynergy. He has been nominated to the Alternative Nobel Right Livelihood Award. His work has helped thousands of people across the globe reach a new understanding of themselves and lead happier, richer, and more fulfilling lives. Dr. Warder resides in North San Diego County with his wife, Carolina, an early childhood educator who holds a MA in holistic psychology, is an artist and an apiculturist. He has transformed his residence, Pardis, into a retreat center where he leads seminars and workshops, has a private practice, and paints. His embodiment of essential spiritual teachings allows a field of understanding to whoever is open which leads to the awakening of a spiritual pathless path. Instead of subscribing to a linear and left-brain sequential teaching model, his teaching is based apparently on his Kabbalah and Sufi initiations, plus the time he spent with Amazonian teachers, partaking of their living traditions, as well as having been taught personally by Idreya Shah, the Dalai Lama, and many others. Dr. Warder has produced a teaching that allows essence to awaken when students are ready so that all techniques become secondary to a state of being which becomes senior to all philosophies or methods. Dr. Warder, without ever intending it, has been teaching for close to half a century, utilizing technologies of the sacred and imbuing them with his spiritual signature. Meet Dr. Carlos at drwarder.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Carlos Warter. 
In your own words, who is Dr. Carlos Water? That's a very simple question. He is just one eight billionth of the human beings that are on the planet. <laughs> Another human being, right? Uh, having intended to mm. dedicate my life to realize what that really means right. with the minimum distraction possible. <laughs> yes, possible. That our society um, throws at us because instead of asking us, who are you? They ask us, what are you going to do later? <laughs> what do you think this experience called life really is? Well, it is a gift since we cannot self-create it. It is a gift of something larger, higher, bigger, unknown to our higher self because there is always more life in the context than we ever can experience. And I, I believe, think uh, it has a purpose, which is its realization. It's wandering into the inquiry of who we are, of who I am, of who you are, and relate to others from the deeper awareness that's beyond doing, beyond having, beyond roles, mm -hmm. accepting those roles, accepting what needs to be done in the world, but not falsely identifying with that which is impermanent. And um, I'll be asking you more questions about how do we, not experience, but how do we realize that? How do we, would you say it's a practice or an understanding? I would say it's grace. Because mm, when you're yeah. touched by it for some reason, and it could be a good or a bad, a crisis or a love affair, a illness or a success, when you sneak in and get the message that it's not about the illness or the success or the good or the bad or the applause or the stoning, it is an awakening that says, what, what, what am I doing in this? What, what is this really all about? And I had the good fortune of having these questions, these inquiries, without even calling them inquiries in my childhood years, which I fomented, which I carried on, never with the intention of teaching about it, always with the intention of finding out, because there's much more that I don't know than that which I've discovered already. And I also wonder if that's a choice we make before awakening, before being conscious that we are in a human body. Do we choose that before coming here? It's a very difficult question. I think, as I said before, it's an act of grace. Maybe everybody comes in with the desire of finding out the truth about existence, but there are stories, myths, that the angel of forgetting kisses every baby and the baby has to find out for, for themselves. I was speaking with a friend, an astrologer recently, and she was very impressed that my what she calls the North Star and the North Note, were in total alignment the minute, the second I was born. So I have a sense I came in with purpose. I came in with purpose of bringing happiness and joy and knowledge to the world. And I remember writing in my first handwritings that I'm never going to be happy unless humanity is happy. Mm -hmm. So I had sort of a bodhisattva vow without calling it that way. And another question I have for you is this, um, the wheel of life in Buddhism, they say that and there are different words and different concepts. But do you believe that we, by not realizing awakening at this time, which time doesn't exist, but in this, um, let's say, dream, do we come back to try to fulfill that realization? Do we keep coming back? 
But without taking it even so mystical, if we don't learn a lesson, we repeat the lesson. Mm. Life is generous. It gives us the lessons till we learn to drive in the right lane if we're here or in the left lane if we're in England. It, it, yeah. and it's similar. It's a similar. It doesn't have to be so metaphysical. If a relationship doesn't work and the causes of a relationship is certain behaviors, we end up to have the next relationship till that clears up or the next till that clears up and we can move on into a place of, a place of peace. And so, if we take the larger uh, reincarnation point of view, I clearly believe that uh, I have good relationships with a lot of Indian and Tibetans in my studies and in my world. Uh, how anchored this notion is of we'll work it out or we'll work it out next time. How do we know when we are there, let's say, at peace? What are the signs? Oh, peace is beautiful. Peace we know. Peace is a stop to any concern mm -hmm. that is not itself. Anything that attempts to stop our peace is not peace. So we have to choose not the tranquility, not the serenity, but a state of knowingness that it is based on that, that we can live and die, that there is nothing to fear. There is really nothing to fear. Mm, right. So what is your idea of spirituality? And also, you speak of this spiritual path, less path. What would that be? You know, there are many paths. Actually, I wrote one book that's called Pathways to the Soul, and I described 101 ways to open your heart, but there are 7 billion ways to open your heart. <laughs> and your publisher is going to print it that big. <laughs> True. Because I think each individual has to click, has to really not submerge him or herself into a modality, but go to that place in the modality of learning till we open up. And when we open up, that's where the path really unfolds. Not the conditioning that we have to all stand on our head, do yoga, hyperventilate, uh, jog, run, pray, etc. But what is the one that opens one's particular door? And then we learn, I've learned, that when one opens the door, the door is open. And when the door is open, we can partake of art, of music, of learning, of sensitivity, of intellectuality, of sex, of brilliance in the universe. But it is because the, the door has been opened, not because that thing is going to open the door. In your book, Where Are You Running? Nine Stories from the Heart, you write... Instead of postponing our joy and happiness, we should be completely immersed in it right now, always. So my question is, what is joy to you? And what are some of the greatest misconceptions about happiness? Well, I'm smiling because joy is being alive. Joy is being grateful. I'm here looking out at the trees, and that's a very joyful and very pleasant experience. In reference to this book, Peter Economy is a very famous business author and he runs the INC uh, department of one of those business magazines where he has a blog weekly or monthly, I don't know. We have been friends for 30 years and for 30 years we've been talking about let's write something together. We were going to write something called a corporate shaman, it didn't work out. We did, we're going to write something else 20 years ago. And last year, we were together and we said, this year we have to write something. So we wrote this, Where Are You Running? through 
his viewpoint, a few chapters, and my viewpoint, a few chapters, uh, indicating two very different people, you know, one immersed in the business world, me immersed in psychiatry and medicine and spirituality, him immersed in getting to produce more and things like that. And we came together with a bunch of stories that I believe dance with each other, complement each other, so, so that we don't give the impression that it's only one way to reach a, a place of stop, a, a stop in the sense of less agitation, less trying to be part of something that never really includes us. Never, you know. The, the system is empty. We build it. We construct it. We position ourselves. And when we disappear, maybe they say, oh, he was good or he was bad. So we wanted to pierce through that. And um, we had it ready early December, and he gave me a birthday, I don't know, my Christmas present by publishing it Kindle on the 24th. A wonderful guy, you know, we get along very well. Yeah, it sounds very much like it. I love these uh, this very close relationships, friendships, or what, any kinds of relationships. It's just beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And one doesn't have to be in full agreement with every notion, you know, right. because that's the beauty of cooperating. That's the beauty of relationships. That's the beauty of group, that everybody has an angle to view things that's different and it brings the whole. And even that whole is larger than the summation of all the perceptions. Going back to the question about joy and happiness, do you connect those two words, joy and happiness, or they are somehow different? We have disguised joy into joy because of something or happiness caused by something. But to me, it is an existential state. It is a state that unifies our awareness, our consciousness into a state of union. My, my model, so to speak, is that we have the sensory equipment and we have the breath who impulses its functioning. And there is a consciousness that is prior to ourselves. I don't think consciousness is generated by the brain, but consciousness exists and the brain sometimes takes a look at it. But then there are the two stages. One is joy that you mentioned. And this joy is because of joy, happy because of happy. Uh, when, I, when my youngest son was now 21, uh, was a baby, I would tell him, I love you. And he says, why? And I said, because, yeah, just because of it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And mm. then there is that other state that brings us all together, which is uh, I am talking. I am responsible for this space that I experience. And this is a unified field. And when this unified field that I sense I am can unify with a larger field, you know, like I had a great opportunity a few days ago, a friend brought a, a, a telescope yeah. and then he brought a professional telescope. And we were looking at Andromeda, and we were looking at Sirius. I felt so, so small, so, so infinitely small, you know, so irrelevant. And then I realized in a shift of awareness that that's all the physical universe. And there are other universes that are not physical, that are ethereal, that are subtle, that are astral, that are soul, which all encompass this magnitude. And I felt relaxed again. It's fascinating to me that we can even talk about it. Yes, I agree with you. And that's something that our society is has been missing because we have become a society of short bits of information that felt like gossip 
and the determined will, determine opinion, determine everything without leading us to a research that involves each and everyone to really look a little deeper of what is the purpose of what's going on instead of this is going on and we take it. Yeah, right. Conclusions, right, Dr. Carlos? Right, all the time, all the time. Yeah, making conclusions. That's one thing that I have learned the hard way, not to make conclusions about anything. Conclusion of today that could be something positive can be a terrible experiment for the next day and vice versa. So if we stick with the present and we stick with what's happening right now, then we can inject ourselves into that moment of experience and allow, allow, capital A, for the next one to take place instead of manipulating it. How would you describe presence? Presence is beingness. Presence is a repetitious, eternal now. There is no really time or space, so everything disappears, right? No, no, it's a door. Presence, that time nowness is a doorway to enter a world in which everything has the space, the right, the possibility of manifesting. And I'm smiling, you know, because I really, I'm, I'm going to be 74 next year, <laughs> this year. And I've had this experience for 62 years. Right, wow. This, is, this came to me when I was in my 12th year, in which I could understand that being present and being in the now had nothing to do with the curriculum of the school or the ongoing of the seasons. True. And it made me very, very uh, joyful because it feels like I'm riding a horse that's always present. And I'm wondering if it's possible for most of us to stay present all the time, because I feel this pull, that something pulls me into this reality all the time too. So it's almost like not a fight or resistance, but I see this movement, this dance of being yeah. present at the same time, becoming the dream. I, I have a formula. <laughs> one is keep the inquiry present of who I am. Mm. That's one. Avoid distractions. If somebody comes that I, I, I just ended a relationship of 60 years with somebody because nothing I would tell in the last 60 years was received. So I thought it's enough. You know, I mean, I, I, I love the guy. I honor the longevity of our relationship, but it's a, it's a closed door. I better try where there's a little crack in the window to get some information in because he, right. he's unhappy and he's afraid of death and he's afraid of disease and all that. Right. And it was a daily, daily motion. And I, I did it consistently for the last 24, 21 years. But it comes a point in which that energy can be invested in my puppy, you know, who lies down next to me and is very present. <laughs> yeah, is that courage, would you say, letting go of certain situations and certain people in order to be present? Well, it is not in order to be present, but in order to realize that if a door is, is totally sealed or locked, what am I knocking a door that's not going to open when sure. I've tried for so long? Yeah. And courage, maybe, maybe it takes something else. It takes generosity to let go. Mm, yeah. Because I'm not omnipotent to change others. True. And even though I can try and put my viewpoints across, each one has their own destiny. So let go, let go. Yeah. Yeah. It really sounds like a practice, but I think it's more like a choice, right, Dr. Carlos? It's yes. making that choice yeah. moment to moment. It is, right? it is second to second putting in the higher context. 
they used to say, at Maiorem Dei Gloriam, for the greater glory of the divine. Uh, but today the divine has been uh, fractioned into organizations, so I feel the divine has been hijacked. I actually wrote a book a couple of years ago called Jesus Beyond the Corporate Franchise. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it. On Amazon, give it a look. It's a very personal experience. And the book goes on over 40 years till I could finish it. You know, it started in my, in my early 30s. And what I saw is that anything that's taught, anything that's taught by teacher, masters, swamis, gurus, prophets, becomes uh, compartmentalized with a mercantilistic way of transaction. It becomes sold. And then people feel that they're sold and they cannot go to the exploration of the depth of what those things mean for true, for real. True. Wow, it seems like it's a fine line, isn't it, in a way? Well, we have to be vigilant. We have to be very vigilant. Yeah. There's always a hidden agenda in everything. So if you can get rid of the hidden agenda and take the beauty for the beauty itself, mm. then, then we grow, or at least we expand our awareness of what's going on. Yeah. And it was um, a sort of... Um, yeah, journey. That's the word, really. Journey to find how could I fit in a world which uh, the divine had been lost. Right. And right. Yeah, it's not very, an easy. It's not very easy. Good, very good yeah. um, position. You know, I wrote a book called Recovery of the Sacred back 30 years ago, but it really ends when I was in my late 20s, in which I asked myself, I studied medicine, and I studied medicine in the only time in which everything starts to be explained by scientists, not science even. And where is the healing power? Where is the divine? Where is the spiritual? Where is what all healers throughout ages have spoken about, from the Native Americans to the ancient Egyptians? There was another element. So I, I we are off to try to, to find it. And I found it. I yeah. found it by going to what people call primitive people, which are more evolved probably than the non-primitive people, people in the jungle, in Brazil, in Peru, in Colombia, people, I lived in Morocco, I lived in India, uh, and the rules of engagement, I'm talking about the 70s, were totally different today. The internet hadn't existed, and the cell phones were not there. Today you have groups of beggars communicating through high-tech cell phones where to go to the tourists in India. But in those days, everything was at random. And the randomness of it allowed me to explore and be approached, be approached and meeting people that were extraordinary. So it seems like it's a contradiction in a way, because the technology was supposed to connect us to make it easier, actually, faster, which it does, yeah. right, Dr. Which Carlos? Does. Which it does. I mean, if you and I were having this conversation and we would have to fly to a certain place and set up and now I'm sitting in my desk and you're sitting in your desk, definitely. But we need to put the content of this communication so that it's really of service. Mm, yes. So, there's so much is communicated that only mm, irritates. Yeah, yes. It goes beyond the words, right, we say. It's not yeah, just... Survive. What inspired you to integrate psychology and spirituality? The truth is that I never saw it separated. When I was a little kid, I saw everything as one. And I have an anecdote when I was about nine that my grandfather passed away. And he passed away in a very interesting way. He blessed us and then he died. Oh. And then I went home and I said, I wish he wouldn't die. I didn't even know what it meant. And I had a chewing gum and I was chewing it all night to preserve his life. Of course, that didn't preserve his life. 
And in the dawn, he showed up. He shows up as if in a dream or a meditation. I don't know the words at the time. I was eight, nine years old, nine years old. And he says, don't worry. We're here forever. And I go and tell everybody in my family to tell me, shut up. You know, you don't talk about this. Uh, grandpa died. But I had one uncle, you know, he was very open. And he took me out for tea and I explained him what I had experienced. And that allowed me to have the crossover. I could see that there was only a, a limit little limit veil between the existence in the physical form and the existence as transcendence. And I was young. So I said, I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to become a doctor and help people see that. Nobody was very interested in that in medical school, so I became a psychiatrist. Since nobody was very interested in psychiatrists, <laughs> I became what I became. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the movement, the dance, yeah, trying to find that place, right, the not even a place, but a, a form of expression, isn't it, of consciousness? Yeah, that's direct. So my other question is about healing. What is healing to you? Well, let's make a distinction. Healing is an ongoing process that affects all forms of life into becoming the wholeness of who they are. And then there is curing, which is when something has gone disharmoniously, it requires certain uh, modifications either of nutrition, behavior, pharmacology, uh, surgery, uh, posture, uh, yoga, whatever we want to bring in to effect a change, not, not a transformation, a change so that the so-called engineering can continue. We want to do healing and curing simultaneously. Okay. For that, healing needs to be ascribed to a responsibility of causation when it's happening to me or happening to you and de-victimize ourselves even though many times we have been traumatized and become victims de-victimize in order to gain off the top of my head causation responsabilization and when we're responsible we can forgive ourselves for our mistakes and then open up to the infinite infinite channels that are voting for us for life Yeah. And then healing begins the process of expansion. And it's not anymore about my toothache or my backache. It's about my being in the world. And since I live in the world with you and with others, it's about our healing, our wholeness. Do you believe that unconditional self-love is a step toward healing? Absolutely. Love is the recognition of our consciousness. If I see if I perceive, if I resonate with your consciousness as mine, we love each other. And that doesn't mean we have to do anything with it except ride the wave of light that that represents. And the more we can love, the more compassionate we can elicit our behaviors to be. And the more compassion, there's more caring. And the more caring, there's better results. Better results, less trouble. Less trouble, <laughs> less poverty, no war. Mm. It's around. Unfortunately, Our schools don't educate people in love and in compassion. They educate in competition, not in cooperation, in competition, in which everybody has to make it. This 500 years of pre- and post-industrial revolution has really separated us from the land and from the lineage. And uh, I believe people are missing it. I was in Hawaii many years ago, and I was invited to an initiation of Native Hawaiians. I have nothing with Native Hawaiians, you know, I'm a, a white Westerner. But I had the opportunity, you know, of sleeping under the Milky Way 
and feeling the respect that they were having, not for their imposed religion, which was Christianity, but their essential religion, which was there before even the Tahitians came. And I was expanded. I was overwhelmed. I was so grateful because the common denominator is one humanity. There's something about silence that's deeper than any words could be. When you speak about being around ancient wisdom in people, that's what I, it feels like, that you're exposed now to that truth, which is silent. Yes. And it's also giving it as an opportunity for a paradigm shift, because even though people are very, quote, traditional, comfortably regressing to how it used to work, this thing is an evolutionary process. You believe we are going back, returning to the divine at this time. Would you say so? Returning to the heart of God. But it's mm. not a returning, it's going forward. Because right. we have learned a lot of things. I think that uh, mm. returning we can in our mind when we have memories. And how many memories can we really keep? You know, I don't know what my great-grandfather did at this date a hundred and something years ago. I mean, it, it's very frail and impermanent. So my, my duty is to maintain myself alert and see where the opportunities are right. Even though I love history because I see that the patterns keep repeating and very little learning takes place over history, there are certain clues that can jump you forward into seeing, well, this is a new reality or at least a new perception of the reality. How can I contribute to it in these new terms? Yeah, a new perception, right? It's interesting the way you say, so it's going forward, actually. It's not returning to. I'm a psychological work. I have a son who is a psychologist, and a lot of psychological work is returning to work out the trauma. Yeah. It has a validity. I don't deny that. But you can also get stuck in the rerunning of the issue. Mm, yeah. And in the meantime, life is moving in a completely different realm, in a mm. direction. And I'm still complaining that uh, I didn't get the right candy when I was four. It has a point, valid point, this idea of returning, right? And trying to understand again something that has already been there. Yeah, yeah. Only with the purpose of lightening it up and clearing it up and dissolving it. So that the attached energy can be functional again. Is that how you work with your clients? Do you still work with them? I work with them, yeah. I I, I work on the phone, I work on video. I, I do, in normal years, four or five retreats of four days each here where I live. They rent a house close by. And they come from, you name it, South America, Eastern Europe, uh-huh. any place in the States. And we spend four days, four days that are four lifetimes. I'll have um, a link to, to your retreats and online services, which I always do for all my guests when they Thank have you very them. much. Next one is going to be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 April. I will, I will do it live. We did one in October, live with masks, social distancing, control of virus, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody got sick. Everything was a success. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the final questions. Would you like to add anything before I ask those questions? My gratitude for you taking this initiative is the first thing I would like to add. Thank you for the encouragement, Dr. Carlos. Where are you located? We are in Vero Beach, Florida. West coast of Florida. I've been there. I've actually had an Indian initiation around 50 years ago on 
Vero Beach. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Here? Yeah. 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 I was wondering where the healers are here. <laughs> we just came here, so I'm still exploring yeah. this environment. How to define success these days? What is to be successful to you? To me, being successful is being content with where I am. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? No. Great, fast, <laughs> direct yes. answer. Yes. No. Because I have no certainty that I'll be around next month. Right. You know, and nobody does. And I've always lived like this. Oh, wow. So, so, wonderful. You know, I even had an offer years ago in the 80s to have a very good position at the World Health Organization. I bonded with a number two of the WHO. And he told me, you know, you can come here and for your foundation, meet rich Koreans that will support you the rest of your life. But the only thing you can't speak is about peace, because in the 80s, peace was a term from the Iron Curtain. Russian Soviets spoke about peace. And I said, but all I want to speak is about peace. And what happens if this year I die? And I never did my mission, so I didn't accept an excellent job. Could have been a good sacrifice if I look backwards, because the Koreans were donating peace principles operations and organizations. But my reasoning was, I'm not going to prostitute myself even for a month, because I don't know how long the story is. Right. And so far, it's still going on. Last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Well, I don't know if I'm answering the question, but the three things is my own integrity, my love with my wife and family, and the contribution that I can make to others to live a better life. Thank you so much, Dr. Carlos, for your amazing, transcended presence. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me, being there, and I'm available. Speak with Meredith. You might enjoy spending a couple of days here in retreat and take this whole thing to a, another resonance level. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, all my books seem to be in Amazon these days. I have a website, which is www.drwarter.com. I'm in Facebook. I'm in Instagram. I'm findable. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. You have the rest of the week in a wonderful way. You too, Dr. Carlos. Bye for now. Much love to you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Carlos Warter and his work, please visit drwarter.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.